Hello, friends. You're listening to the Mostly Harmless Podcast. I'm your host, Damn It, Damian Burford. Uh, today's episode is a special episode. We're talking with my good friend, Mr. Virgil Dickerson, the owner, the founder, the president, the madman in charge over at Suburban Home Records. Uh, before we get any further, this episode's an also very special because we're going to debut a new track of Arliss Nancy's new album, Simple Machines. Uh, I just got a copy of this record like literally 10 minutes ago. I've had a quick chance to glance through the songs and good God damn does it sound sweet. So here we go with the song. But guess what, friends? We're not going to be playing an Arliss Nancy song just quite yet. Uh, first off, we're going to start this bad boy off with another album uh, from Suburban Home Records. This is one of Virgil's favorite alt-country records. I am, of course, talking about Lenny and the Piss Poor Boys. Uh, Virgil tried for years and years and years to finally track down Lenny. Finally tracked Lenny down with the help of uh, John Snodgrass and the Dragon the River Boys. And uh, as of September, I believe, they signed a, a deal, an agreement, that Virgil's going to be repressing one of the best all-country albums of all time, uh, one of the best punk rock country records, yada, 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 Americana, whatever the fuck you want to call this thing that we listen to. Uh, so first off, we're going to listen to a track off that record, and that track is Lonely Days and Whiskey Nights. Inside a nylon bra There was a punk rock song About the government Playing across the bar Had a pabst and a short gym beam To get my head on right
waiting I wonder if there'll come a day that we might meet again Think about you where you are Now the bottle's almost gone Another lonely day Another whiskey night Lonely days and whiskey nights Arms, they're open wide, embracing me all the time. The lonely days, and whiskey Welcome back. Once again, that was Lenny and the Piss Poor Boys with Lonely Days and Whiskey Nights. Uh, arguably one of the best albums and one of my more anticipated albums off uh, Suburban Home Records for this year. Uh, I'm really excited that Virgil got to re-release it. Uh, it's been long, 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 long out of print. And I've also gotten to meet Mr. Lenny Lashley himself. He's a wonderful, generous man. And I'm very, very happy to call him one of my friends as well. Uh, so, again, today's episode is with uh, Mr. Virgil Dickerson. Now, I've I've got two episodes already up of this Mostly Harmless podcast here, uh, one with the almighty Chuck Reagan of Hot Water Music, as well as his solo project. Uh, and I've also got an episode up with Micah Schnabel from Two Cow Garage. Both, both of those episodes have just blown me away with the amount of reviews and praise and uh, high downloads and all that good stuff that we've been getting. I've just been getting tons and tons and tons of positive feedback from you guys. Thank you ever so much. Um, but I can only take half the credit here. Um, I'm only as good as the person I'm interviewing. If these guys didn't give me as much as they did, there would be no show. So, um, luckily I've, I'm getting a little bit better at pulling it out of these guys, but you know, that's, that's the art of the interview. Uh, now when I set out to do this show, I wanted to interview a bunch of buddies first. So I'd get used to doing interviews again. Uh, and so just so I get used to talking on a microphone, I can't tell you how fucking weird it is to sit in your your living room or your apartment with all your neighbors surrounding you listening to you and you're just sitting here staring at the walls talking into a microphone feels kind of weird uh but slowly but surely i'm getting used to it so um what when i very first restarted most of the harmless as this here podcast virgil was my number one buddy i wanted to sit down and talk to you i had chased after virgil for a number of years trying to get him to sit down for the most of the harmless magazine the timing never quite worked out you know and uh so the that interview never materialized. But luckily for me, over the years, me and Virgil have gotten, gotten to be not only good friends, but I'd like to call Virgil a best friend of mine. Um, and through his music and through his label, they've they've really come into my life and changed my changed my life. Hey, what do you know? How many more times can I say life in one sentence? Uh, but Virgil is an amazing, amazing human being, very kind-hearted, very open, um, very candid. Um, 
you know, get a couple drinks with him, he'll, he'll spill all his secrets. Uh, so, but in the past 15, 16 years, Virgil has managed to put out some of my favorite releases. I've grown up with Suburban Home Records over these last few years. Uh, in the 90s, they were putting out some of the best fucking pop punk on this planet. You know, bands like The Gamets, Layman Terms, uh, Pinhead Circus, uh, God, The Nobodies. Uh, the list just goes on and on and on. As they matured and I matured, they started putting out more of these alt-country records. I don't really particularly care for the term alt-country. Some of it's fitting, but for bands like Dragged River, it's really just Americana rock and fucking roll. Uh, but yeah, Virgil's been putting out some fucking killer records from Drag the River, Tim Barry, uh, Two Cow Garage, Austin Lucas. Uh, God, the list goes on and on and on. Ninja Gun, Junior Juggernaut, and now Arliss Nancy, Lenny Lashley, you know. His ranks keep growing. Uh, you know, like I say, Virgil has been an integral part of my life. He's helped change and shape who I am over these last few years, not only through his releases, but through our friendship. Uh, you know, many of my greatest successes as a booking agent here in Colorado Springs is due very much directly because of him. You know, that Chuck Reagan show I talked about that saved my life, that show was set up thanks to Virgil. Um, and, and, you know, I've met so many great friends and new partners in this thing we call life through his suburban home records, parties and the shows and just everything like truly Virgil Dickerson is my friend through music and your friend. And there's so many connections he's made through music. So sitting down and talking to Virgil was really important to me because he is an important person to me and he's had some kind of negative publicity in the past. He's kind of had some hard times with his, you know, little record label. Um, but they keep striving, they keep going. And I know Virgil, his heart is 100% in this, and he means to do the absolute best he can and do right for him and all his people involved. And I really was hoping that with today's episode of this podcast, we could really show off who Virgil is and how great he is. And I think we did that today, you know? Um, so, I, like I say, I'm lucky to call Virgil a friend. I've always admired how open and candid Virgil is. And, you know, he's fallen on hard times just like the rest of us. But here he is today doing all he can to keep this little machine running in spite of all these obstacles. Uh, it's been a rocky road, but Suburban Home has just celebrated 16 long years. My parents' marriage barely lasted 16 years, you know. And here this record label is and still, you know, pumping along. Um, granted, it's a way smaller operation than it has been in previous years. Uh, but Virgil's still in it. He's a lifelong companion, a lifelong partner with music. Uh, so we first sat down to do this interview. We did it, we did it originally in the basement of the High Dive in Denver. Uh, me and him both decided to lube up a little bit for this interview. Get a little loose. Get a little loose there, buddies. Uh, and then, unfortunately, we drank way too many adult beverages. And the results, while the interview, I think the content behind it and in it is fucking incredible. Um, I almost think that that interview is better than the one you're going to hear today. But unfortunately the way that interview played out was you could barely understand a word. Either one of us said we had had too many beverages. And we just kind of talk like this, you know, we just mumbled and slurred into the microphones and really, man, you don't want to hear that. You already heard that with the Micah episode. Granted, that was a great, great uh, episode regardless uh, but the Virgil episode man you couldn't understand a word we said uh, so we sat down a couple of weeks ago uh, me and Virgil are both doing no drink January 
Uh, it's uh, every year for the last three years I've decided to go sober for the month of January to clear out my system. And uh, luckily for me, I did it. I built a website, did a fuck ton of interviews for this year podcast. Uh, man, I've just conquered the world. And so is Virgil. Virgil's on the verge of doing some really great things. And that's what we sit down and talk about today. Uh, so, you know, maybe we'll release that first episode here in the future. But, man, ooh, it's rough. That'll be something here in 10 years. We'll put in the 10-year time capsule for Mostly Harmless. Uh, but so we're going to go ahead and do this little interview with my buddy Virgil Dickerson. I'd like to thank him for inviting me over to his uh, very, very nice condo apartment thing where he lives. Uh, I'd like to thank him for sitting down a second time and doing this interview f- with me. And I'd like to thank him for putting out some of my all-time favorite records. And I'd just like to thank him for being my friend. So here, without further ado, this is my good buddy, Virgil Dickerson. All right, I'm sitting here with Virgil Dickerson from Suburban Home Records. Hello, hello. Hey, man. Thanks for uh, having me again. Yeah, let's yeah. do this. Let's do this. Again? <laughs> yeah, that last time was a fun night. It was definitely a fun night. A little yes. too much fun. Maybe a little too much fun to be putting it down on tape. Yeah, uh, I love I love the conversation. Hopefully, some of that shines through today. I'm sure we. Can but uh, man, I couldn't. I really couldn't understand a word I said. <laughs> maybe I'll intercut some. Uh, yeah, some, maybe you should put a little sample. Be like, this is what you missed. <laughs> I think that might be a good idea. So, so we're chasing the rabbit here. Hopefully, we'll get. Uh, hopefully, I'll get some as good as stuff. I'm not intoxicated, so we'll see. Neither I'm of not us as, are. I'm not as inspired. We're both doing No Drink January. Yep. How's that going for you so far? I had one day on Monday after only a week of no drinking. No, I didn't drink. Oh. But I really, really wanted to drink, and uh, I, I I got through it, and uh, I've been good. I actually, because I, I bowl in the league on Monday nights, and so it was really hard to bowl and not drink. <laughs> And yeah, I went to sushi with a bunch of friends last night. And they were all doing sake bombs, and that was really that wasn't hard actually. I was good, but I definitely wanted to partake in that. But yeah, overall good. Cool. I uh, for me, like every time I get that urge to drink, I just drink more coffee. That's a good idea. I, I'm definitely addicted to coffee. I, I I'm up to about a pot a day now. Well, like I, I get really lucky because I mean I'm a, I'm a coffee fiend as well. Yeah. Um, the office that we work out of for Legal Beats is right next door to Kaladi Brothers, mm-hmm. and they roast their own coffee and. They give all the Illegal Pete staff free coffee. So I can get – I start off the day with a quad uh, Americano and just you know, oh, go from there, you know. Hell, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so, okay. Well, let's uh, let's get back into this damn interview thing. Cool. Um, so, once again, Virgil, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, you know, I, I'm sure I wanted to be all the typical things growing up as a kid. But um, in high school, I did win my math and science award. Uh, I went to college. I started out as a chemical engineering major, and after a couple of years of that, wasn't too keen on on going into that world. So I, I got a, I ended up going into molecular biology, getting a degree in in biology, working in a lab for a year, and I hated every minute of my life. I really thought that I was going to go into the research side of molecular biology. Um, luckily, that whole time I was working within music, and and uh, you know just made the realization that molecular biology is. Well, it's great for a lot of people. It wasn't where I wanted to spend my days, and music was, and somehow that's where I'm. What I'm doing right now. Yeah. Uh, you first, before you even got to college, what was some of the music you were into? It was pretty embarrassing, right? Um, you know, it's funny you say. Well, I don't know if embarrassing. Maybe some of it was embarrassing. Um, it's building blocks. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we we can't all start off, you know, liking Minor Threat and Fugazi and and all that stuff, but. 
um, you know, I was just telling my buddy, I'm like, you know, I think some of my first favorite records were like REO Speedwagon and New Edition and, um, you know, Junior High, I went through uh, kind of the metal phase, I went through a hip-hop phase. In high school, I was all about hip-hop and R&B. And the funny thing is, I still like to listen to some, you know, some of those old records, like, you know, I still love some of the early Dr. Dre, and I love N.W.A. and Ghetto Boys yeah. and DJ Quick and just all that stuff, you know. So I'm not so embarrassed by it. I mean, I guess maybe a little bit, but I still enjoy all that stuff. Cool. Yeah. And you just went and saw Salt and Pepper, right? I did see Salt and Pepper, and it was badass. <laughs> the week before, I saw Guns N' Roses, and that was actually surprisingly really, really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, embarrassing tidbit about me, like, I, I remember, I talk about this all the fucking time, but uh, Bruce Springsteen was the first guy I really got into. Yeah. But then fast forward a couple of years later and got into MC Hammer, Vanilla Ice. Of course. But, but the first actual record I ever bought with my own money was Colored Me Bad's debut album. Nice. Did that have Sex You Up on it? Yep. Heck yeah. And I, I still own it somewhere hidden in a box, but I thought, you know, it's... I, I, and even worse is I, I think I was 13 when I bought it. So Nice. Um, so, you know, talking about Salt and Pepper, uh, one of my buddies, his brother, their school won some MTV contest. And the prize was that Salt and Pepper, Gerardo, and Call Me Bad would play at their high school. Oh, shit. Or maybe it was even the junior high, but I'm just thinking, wow, that is really not appropriate. You know, like <laughs> some of those songs, you know, like I Want to Sex You Up, maybe not in a junior high school, you know? Yeah. Was, was that one of those MP? MTV things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I always wished they would come into my crappy little school in Louisiana, but no, never. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad to know that that actually did happen. Yeah, I think that was in D.C., so yeah, not too far. Yeah. Um, so you, you graduated with molecular, I can't talk, molecular biology degree, correct? Yeah, so it was MCDB, which is Molecular Cellular Developmental Biology, and uh yeah, I you know if you ask me anything now, I, I'm not sure I remember anything <laughs> from it. Um, but yeah, worked in the lab for a year, and man, it was not it just wasn't uh, what I wanted to picture my life doing. So is there is there any of that you still use to this day in your daily life? Is there anything you would use from biology? Um, I mean, you know, every once in a while, I can you know when somebody's bringing up talks of genetics or whatnot, I can you know I can probably go back and forth a little bit, but. Uh, not so much so, you know. Yeah. I mean, even like, you know, I was a super math nerd and I used to tutor people in calculus, but like in nobody in their everyday use really uses calculus, you know. Yeah. Maybe geometry when you play pool, you know. But yeah, no, I don't use any of it. Um, so like that doesn't even transfer into like making the perfect cup of coffee, understanding um, the biology and matrix of all that. I'm sure that there are people <laughs> that have really mastered the craft of making coffee or beer or whatever they happen to make because of some of the knowledge they gain from that but uh man i just put my coffee in a pot <laughs> and put on the water and there you go i'm actually surprised you don't make beer as big a fan as fit as you are um you know i've dabbled in it it's just there's not enough time in the day you yeah. know it's a lot of work i mean it's a lot it's a lot of work it's it's awesome when it comes together but man it's it's a labor it's a, it's a lot of labor yeah so uh you're in college you're listening to dr dre's the chronic how did you get into punk rock and ska? So when I was a freshman in college, um, you know, you meet all the guys in the dorms, and uh, inevi- inevitably you start talking about music. And music's always been a huge part of my life. I've always been really enthusiastic about music. But you know, these guys were telling me about bands like Green Day and Screeching Weasel and Operation Ivy and the Queers. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned Skank and Pickle. Um, 
And, you know, I was intrigued and I said, well, you know, I'd love to hear some of the stuff. And so they threw some CDs my way and I was just blown away. I mean, the songs were melodic, they were rocking, they were upbeat. Um, I was just hooked. Soon after that, I was invited to go see Skink and Pickle play at the Mercury Cafe. And that was just probably, you know, just a super life-changing moment because the show was just so much fun. Um, I love the fact that you could go and talk to the band members afterwards because there was no, like, there's no barrier, you know, like everybody was in there together, you know, and, you know, for all those reasons, I just said, you know, I'll go to any show, you know, you throw at me. So I went and saw Green Day play. I saw, you know, I just saw show after show after show and, you know, I've been kind of hooked ever since, you know. Did you meet, uh, you become good friends with Mike Park. Did you meet him that day? Yeah, I met him that day. I mean, and, uh, you know, being a Korean American, seeing a Korean on stage singing songs, I was just like, what, you know, what is this bizarro world that I've, you know, like, I, that is new to me. It was it was really cool to see that, too. Who, who started their label first, you or him? Uh, Suburban Home started before Asian Man, but Mike Park did Dill Records with uh, all the members of Skang and Pickle long before Suburban Home started. Yeah. So yeah. did he help you get all that stuff off the ground? Any um, advice and whatnot? You know, I mean, I've always talked with him about a bunch of stuff, but uh, we've always traded notes. But when I first started Suburban Home, it was like people at like Liberation Records and Liquid Meat Records and, you know, a bunch of other labels that aren't around anymore that gave me pointers on what manufacturer to use, what printer to use, uh, you know, people here and there. Yeah. yeah. So one po what point did you uh, decide to take, you know, your love of music from a hobby into uh, something more, into the <coughs> record label? Excuse me. Um well, the way that it all went down is, you know, I, I started going to these shows, just blew my mind. I started, you know, reading fanzines. I started just, you know, jumping in head first. And at some point I said, you know, Denver doesn't really have a fanzine writing about the music going on here. I should start one. And I um, talked to some friends and we said we decided to start putting together a fanzine. And the name Suburban Home came up because... Um, actually, Magic Cyclops, um, he was good friends with a bunch of my buddies that introduced me to all this music. He was like, you know, it'd be cool to name it, you know, like, kind of like a playoff of Suburban Home, you know, the Descendant song, but call it Suburban Homes and Gardens. And that's actually what the fanzine was going to be called. And then we talked about it, you know, more. And actually, Skippy pretty much had nothing to, or Magic Cyclops had nothing to do with Suburban Home after, you know, that first initial conversation. But Suburban Home ended up being the name of the fanzine. And down the road the, the label as well so i started writing about bands i started interviewing you know bands i started writing review record reviews and uh first issue came out september 1st 1995 so that's the date that i kind of go by to celebrate suburban homes anniversary um about a year later uh the Fairlane started you know doing some recordings um and those were all the guys that introduced me to all the music that got me hooked in the first place and they were like you know we got this recording we're thinking about doing something with it and you know they weren't sure how to go about it and i said well i'll put it out and so i put out the fairlands and this band from southern california called overlap that's the first two suburban home releases they were both seven inch records and uh just did it as a hobby put out a cd called punk it's all about the orcas factor which is uh was a punk rock comp it had a lot of local bands but it had like blink 182 and rhythm collision and a handful of like you know bands here and there from other states and then somehow just kept doing it yeah. Do you yeah. do you still have copies of those first couple of releases? I'm sh I do somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely I know with the Fairlane Seven Inch I have a couple overlap. I'm pretty sure. I know I have a copy of the Orcas Factor CD somewhere. I just can't. I'm not sure where. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure there's. I'm sure that one's probably somewhere in a 99 cent free if you buy something. Oh God, I'm sure. 
Yeah. I, I was in Independent Records the other day, and I found a copy of Mail Order is Fun from Asian Man, which is oh, nice. one. Of, it was one of my gateway CDs, and it was oh, only yeah. it was a quarter. And hell yeah, I bought it. I couldn't pass that up. So. Well, and, you know, I think the internet killed the, the low price CD compilation yeah. because that was how you discovered music back then. Ah. You know, you'd say, oh, I know, you know, Slapstick, and I know Less Than Jake. I'll buy this Mail Order is Fun comp and. I'll find out about all these other bands yeah. that I might like too. Well, I remember being really excited about like, oh my god, it's a four dollar CD. Yeah, holy crap! I know. I, you know, it, and then here I am today because of those damn little things. I know, right? I don't know whether <laughs> to curse them or to hug them. Well, that's, I, I would joke with the Fairlanes guys because you know those guys are all still around, and I'm like, God, you know, if you guys would have not introduced me to punk rock, I'd probably be a hip hop mogul right now <laughs> and actually making money. <laughs> or you'd be working in a lab, miserable. Yeah, I, I have a feeling I would wouldn't be in a lab. I definitely would, wouldn't. I'd be doing something else. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> yeah. uh, what do your parents think about the label? Um, you know, I think my mom. You know, she, I don't think she gets it. I mean, she definitely would love to see me go back to school, get a master's, do yeah. all that kind of stuff. And every it, once in a while, she'll offer that suggestion. You know, hey, do you ever think about going back to school? You she, know? Is she full fledged Korean? Yep, she's full Korean. Yeah. You know, full Korean and. Uh, you know, education. I mean, I you know I have a Korean uncle who'd come to visit, and he would drink Crown Royal all night. Hardly speak any English, but he'd go, Virgil, you go to Harvard, you go to Yale, you go to Princeton. You know, and it's like, uh huh, sure, 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 uncle. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she doesn't quite get it. I mean, she's supportive overall of just me in general, but yeah, she definitely. My brother's a he got a math you know mathematics major, and he does he's a statistician for an internet company, and he does pretty well. I'm sure my mom would love to see me go more that route, yeah. you know. Yeah. And now, well, and your dad passed away. Yeah, he passed away when I was in college, when I was 20. Hmm. And so, it's funny because he, you know, he was one of those guys who's like, "Yep, listen to both kinds of music, country and western," you know. And so, you know, back then I I couldn't stand any of that music because it was mostly commercial country. And you know, I think I mentioned this to you before, but Drag the River were definitely the first country yeah. band that. That made me realize, wow, country doesn't have to suck. You know, yeah. it can be really good music, and it, you know, it doesn't have to be super cheesy. And if my dad knew that I'd put out, you know, some country records now, I'm sure he would. Just, it would just blow his mind. You know, yeah. I, I was thinking about it earlier. Like to me, Drag the River and Lucero are what got all these punk rock dudes to unplug and start playing acoustic. Oh, for sure. And then Drag the River slowly turned back into a rock and roll band now, and they're plugged in. Yeah, lab. you know, of course, when they're the full band, not the the uh, acoustic Wonder right. Twins du- duo. Right, right. So, well, no, I think Lucero. I mean, you know, and Drag the River. They did, you know, they were some of the first guys that were like come from a punk background and, you know, made that switch. And it's crazy to see how how kind of crazy it's gotten since. You yeah. know. Um, so so before Suburban Home even started, you were uh, what living in L.A. working. You worked for Hopeless for a while. Um, well, I started Suburban Home before I moved to L.A., um, so basically the timeline, you know, the fanzine started in 95, graduated college in 97, started putting out records in 96. Um, when I graduated from college, I got an offer to work for Hopeless Records as a label manager, so at the summer of 97, I moved out to L.A., and uh, not a big fan of L.A. Like, it was a great experience. I learned a lot. It was, it was awesome, and I still talk with Lewis, the owner of Hopeless, and a bunch of the guys from that era, but... Uh, after about a year, I decided to move back to Colorado, and that whole time, I had still been putting out records just as a hobby, but uh, when I moved back in, in like, summer of 98, I uh, started a record store called Bacamono, 
he sold independent music, Japanese toys, books, clothing. It was actually, you know, by all, you know, looking back on it, it was a really cool store. Maybe I don't want. It's kind of weird to say that Denver might not have been ready for it at the time, but like, you know, we started carrying, you know, like as far as the Japanese stuff goes, like it seems like there's a much bigger audience for that stuff now. But uh, it was a cool store. It was a great, great experience as well. But after about a year of doing that and suburban home, decided to focus more of my efforts on suburban home. And kind of been in suburban home ever since, full time. Cool. Yeah. Um, how, how were those early years going on? Once once you folded the record store and uh, started the label full time, how how rough and ready were those first years, or were they? Um, you know, I think they were moderate. I mean, like, you know, this was a long before you can you know send people albums you know on the computer with a click of a button. Um, so not that I sold a lot of records, but I sold probably more records than I do now only because people, if they wanted the music, they had to buy it, you know? Right. So I think I did, you know, I did okay. I mean, I, I wasn't ready to retire by any means, but, you know, during that time I put out, you know, a Nobody's Record. I put out Apocalypse Hoboken Record. Um, you know, I put, I put out the Snowboarders compilation that had, like, Kid Dynamite and that had Sick of It All and a bunch of other bands. So, like, I put out a few things that, you know, did all right and then i put out my own you know uh collaborative uh, cheapo samplers with called playing foursquare and we did it with my records and negative progression and drive through and those actually sold really well too um around that time i started distributing some other labels and again you know people bought records back then mm-hmm. so there was enough money coming in to be able to pay the bills you know yeah i still i still see boxes of those around your house here and there i'm oh, like oh yeah why is there a screeching weasel record yeah, a box of them at Virgil's house. I take it those are still from those days. Yeah, so I, at one time I used to uh, manage Liberation Records and their other label, New American Dream, that put out like Discount and kind of like Spitting. Um, but yeah, so I managed and distributed Liberation Records, who put out Vindictives and the. What do you mean by managed? Like you signed or you just? I, I ran it. So I ran Liberation while while Dave, the owner, was going to uh, going to school, and. Uh, so yeah, did all the distribution for them, and you know they put out like Homegrown, and they put out that Punk Sucks comp. They put out, uh, I mean, a lot of neat records, but, and you know, some of them still sold. Like the Screeching Weasel did all right, the Vindictives did all right. So, yeah, there was enough stuff going on that it did okay. Hell yeah, yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. I uh, I remember, was it around the thirteenth anniversary party? Thirteenth anniversary when things kind of started to fall apart. It was a little bit before that. I remember there was a big call to arms because you you I would think hit that might have big been the t- financial maybe trouble. The, maybe the tenth. Oh, okay. Because uh, there were some really big time returns from one of our main distributors, and it just, I mean, it made it, there was no end in sight, and so that was a really hard time to come back from. And yeah, the you know lo- local music scene definitely helped out quite a bit and yeah. got through that part. And yeah, I mean, it, it's you know I feel like in the sixteen years I've been doing suburban home, it's been a, a equal share of ups and downs for sure. Yeah. I just I just remember one of the things I remember distinctively from that time was like uh, the personalization that went into it, that specific thing. Like you put yourself in it more. I, I I don't remember if anything before that, but I always had a big. I wanted to help Virgil out, even though I didn't know you at that time because oh, yeah. of these dire dire emails and whatnot. And at that time, it was just like the emails I get weren't as personal. They weren't as personified, and I think that always put your label in a different kind of light for me and like i've actually gone through and i actually work that way i want i'm like i want to be more personal and people to know me and what i'm doing more 
I feel like with Suburban Home, even, you know, especially over the last handful of years, I feel like, you know, I want to connect with individual people. Like, you know, yeah. you look at a lot of labels and their websites and just how they get their message out. And it's like, you know, there's no difference between the way they promote what they do than a major label or, you know, a used car salesman or, you know, what, you know, there's no, well, I guess used car salesmen have some personality, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It's easy. Yeah. But, you know, I, I guess... The thing is, at the very end, I'm I'm a music fan to this day. Like yeah. I still get really excited about new records. I get really excited about seeing bands live, and so you know, my thought is that I call you know I call people that you know enjoy Suburban Homes catalog. You know, my friends through music, and I truly believe that. I mean, I mean, you've met a lot of these people that have come to yeah. Colorado because of the anniversary weekend, or or people that have moved to Colorado because you know they were like, hey, I'm gonna come check out this thing, and yeah. wow, Colorado's really cool, you know. Yeah. And well, so I feel like all the people that are out there listening to the you know, Micah and Drag the River and all these bands are people that if I were in the same town, I'd have a beer with and but, we'd go see a show together, you know? So yeah. that's that's the way I look at it. <laughs> not, to, not to kiss too much ass, but if it wasn't for, like, you and JJ, like, JJ taking me, hiring me on to uh, book his shows at, his, at the Triple Nickel, I, I don't, I can't even imagine it. it. It pretty much changed my life completely. You know, you sending stuff my way, you and me working together, like, open crazy huge doors so awesome thanks man yeah you, you're definitely my friend through music <laughs> awesome likewise if, and if it wasn't for music we wouldn't be friends and then here we are i, I think of you as a pretty good friend yeah man i agree so, well no i mean that's what's great about it you know you look at like all the people that you've made connections with because of this this music you know and it's yeah. it's cool you know i'm sure a lot of our favorite stories that we have in our personal experiences are because had something to do with the music that we follow you know yeah and the beer we drink and the beer and the yeah and the late nights and yeah so, uh, so, so, and then you, you almost, after that huge return, you almost went through bankruptcy. Right. But luckily the community rallied around and saved the day. Definitely. Um, and then struggled a little, couple more years, but then things picked up in a big way, right? Yeah. So it's, well, it's funny. I mean, you know, it's with, you know, started doing, you know, Suburban Home started putting out vinyl records in 95 when I first started, or 96 when I first started putting out records, but, um, in the late 90s just didn't see you know vinyl definitely suffered through a, a harder time and so at that point made the decision to only put out cds and it wasn't till man maybe four or five years ago now that i decided to make an effort to start putting out records on vinyl again and it kind of just happened at kind of the perfect time because at the same time i think people were kind of responding to their thoughts on on I call it the soullessness of digital music, and you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not a hater of, soul, of digital music. I it's convenient, you know. I like to listen to my cards. It's a, I mean, people are really excited about music because of digital music. But for me, I grew up holding, you know, a copy of the record in my hand. Um, you know, for so many reasons, I just love the vinyl format. So I decided to start putting out records on vinyl again, and I think a lot of other people got excited, you know, got reintroduced to the format. There were still lots of people who were still getting into it, and started Vinyl Collective, and man, it, that just kind of took on a life of its own, and uh, we're responsible for two of the best years of Suburban Homes' entire history. But that said, <laughs> um, you know, had a, a couple of incredible years, but the overhead that I had to keep up with it all was really tough, too, and at the same time, the retail space for vinyl got a lot more crowded and a lot more competitive, so at this point, I mean, it's been, definitely been a bit of a struggle. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you think you were one of the ones who like 
What's the phrasing I want? Are you the, are you responsible for the vinyl resurgence, or were you just part of the pack that just the that happened to pick up on that it was coming back? I think I was just part of you know just part of the momentum for it. I mean, I think it would have happened organically on its own, but I you know I I feel partly responsible for a, a small subsection of people that got really excited about it. I mean, that's, that's how I got into it was cool. through the suburban home emails and I'm an old comic book collector. So like the yeah. whole collectability of like, there's only going to be 250 of these made and I get to put it on my iPod. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I started, I didn't have a record player for 10 years, right. but I was buying vinyl. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing too, is the marriage of digital and vinyl because you know, as great as vinyl is, you can't listen to it in your car, you right. know? And so you know, I think Saddle Creek might have been one of the first label, you know, there probably could have been somebody before, but the first one that I noticed that said, hey, buy this on vinyl, get this digital coupon, download the MP3s, put it on your computer, your iPod, burn CDs, whatever. And that, I think, did more for the vinyl format than anything, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of vinyl, and, it, you know, for me, I may not, it doesn't always happen, but I try to go hit a record store once a week and buy a new record on vinyl just cool. to support I mean, record stores are definitely struggling in a big way. And, you know, when I was in college, I worked at record stores. Um, always been just a big supporter and lover of independent record stores. So I do what I can to try to support that. Yeah, cool. So um, so the vinyl market got a lot more crowded, a lot more competitive. Um, what happened on your end? Like, how, how did you save face, I, wanna, I guess? Well, I mean, I'm still, I mean, I'm still struggling to get myself out of the hole that that was created because of uh, just my increased overhead, you know, from, you know, I guess to give you a couple examples. So, like, in 2008, I had the best year of Suburban Homes history. 2009, had almost as good of a year, but, like, had double the staff, double the overhead. And at the same time, you know, just found myself on the you know on the opposite side of of just how competitive everything was you know um you know that was one part of it the other part of it is that as these you know a lot of the success for vinyl collective was my ability to license bigger records from other labels like minus the bear every time i die you know bands like that that have a huge following well those labels realized how many copies you know i'd been selling of these records and they said well man i'm just going to put out the vinyl myself so you know, bands like Portugal the Man and, and those type of bands that I had no problem getting licenses for, then it became the situation where I could, you know, I wasn't getting those licenses anymore. So it got a lot more difficult. And, you know, I, I've still got some really great records coming out with that I'm doing on vinyl. But uh, these days I'm just focusing on Suburban Home. Uh, the staff is just myself, me, myself, and I. And uh, luckily, you know, I've still got some killer artists that I'm working with. It's just... Uh, just a weird time, man. Yeah. You know, it's a time when you know, like, I don't know too many businesses that thrive off of a situation where they're selling something people get for free. You know, yeah. especially in a rough economic time that we're in. You know, I mean, you're probably like, oh, I got to fill up my gas tank and you know, drive to the Denver and back, and I got to eat and you know, all all the above. And probably, you know, you probably have a higher priority list, but most people are like, well, I have fifteen dollars left. Should I go buy a record or I should probably put some gas in my car? You know. Or beer. Or beer, yeah. You know. Um, so, it, it, and also, I think another thing that's kind of hurting is the uh, the market's changed. 
Sure. Like a lot of people are like, well, I don't need a label anymore. I can do this on my own. That but, happens. Well, I'd rather do it in my own backyard. Like um, I know Tim Berry went the chunk of saw. Yeah. Or chunk saw. Chunk saw. Chunk saw. Yep. Whatever. But uh, you know, it, how is it when you do lose an artist to another label like that? That's the first time it's ever happened, and that was definitely heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, you know, he he was one of the ones that kind of revitalized everything too, right? Him and Drag. Yeah, I mean, Drag Drag was definitely. I mean, Drag is the reason why so many of the. I mean, you know, Suburban Home. I th- I think most people would kind of called it a punk rock label in the late '90s. Um, once I started working on Drag the River, you know, I put out Tim Berry's first demo and then his first album and. You know, Tim just, you know, is amazing and he keeps touring and touring and getting more and more fans. And so, you know, I think Drag and Tim were definitely a big part of the, I guess, you know, what people know Suburban Home for now, you know. Um, but then, you know, obviously there's bands like Two Cal Garage and Micah and, you know, I, a number of those type of bands that people are identifying with. But yeah, it was definitely, definitely a bummer to lose Tim. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, how do you cope and deal with something like that? And just well, we talked about it, and I was just you know, it was just like wow. And the thing about Tim is that you know he's always been really incredible to work with because even from the very first day that I worked with him, I asked myself, I'm like, well, why does this guy need a label? Because he's like, hey, I've got this graphic designer that's going to design it. I'm recording it at the studio in Richmond. Um, I'm mastering it with this guy. Um, Margie's going to book this tour. Um, you know, he he's always had everything figured out and he's just one of those guys you're like wow you really don't need a label and so you know his manager is is one of the owners of chunk saw his booking agents in new jersey and and she books the bouncing souls and too she books the bouncing souls and tim and i mean a lot of great artists and so you know he just said you know i think you know I, i just feel really comfortable about putting it here and and you know you with Tim, you can't ever fault him for, you know, the way that he thinks about things, but it was definitely like, oh, yeah. man, that really hurts, you know? It's like breaking up with somebody, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, it makes, yeah, I don't know. I, I get it. It makes sense. It's yeah. like he wants it all close to home, but, damn. Yeah. It was it was a bummer, man. I mean, but, and, you know, like, I mean, I put out four records, with, you know, and some singles and, you know, over a long period of time, and it was, it was a bummer. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hopefully or not. I I kind of want to touch base. Like I know there's been some internet like negativity towards you and the label in the recent years over like uh, somebody was telling me a story about at the fest people were passing out buttons saying oh Virgil owes you money too. Right. Is that? <laughs> yeah. So that that happened uh, a couple of fests back, and I won't even mention who did it. But uh, I mean, it obviously I I had owed people, and I still owe people money because. You know the bottom kind of dropped out of yeah. the vinyl collective business, and uh, yeah, it's it's weird because you know, like, I mean, obviously, I'm a bit biased about the whole situation because it's me, but uh, you know, I feel like I, you know, I've definitely done a lot to support a lot of small labels that you know found success in vinyl because of vinyl collective, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of new people who found the vinyl format because of vinyl collective, and. You know, for whatever reason, it was really easy for some of those people to just turn and say these negative things, you know. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's weird that, but, you know, they, you know, like I said, I know who the person who made the buttons, <laughs> and I'm not going to mention that person, but it's just such a weird thing to do it backhanded like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was odd. It was definitely, uh, definitely, <laughs> yeah. Stung a little bit too, I'm sure. It stung a little bit for sure. I mean, I, I definitely, 
I mean, you know, running a small business has its ups and its downs and like definitely that whole time and you know, even, you know, some situation now it's been really tough. I mean, I'm still digging, you know, digging myself out of that hole and doing my best to get out of there, but it's uh it's a tough business. It's a tough business yeah. to try to succeed in and it's a tough bu- you know, it's uh you know, sadly I didn't get a business major. Yeah. <laughs> that might have, I probably wouldn't be doing music actually if I did, you know. Yeah, I, I always joke because you know, I, I do all the marketing for Legal Pete's and I said, Man, you know, you just wait till you can download a burrito and a beer on the computer. Shit's <laughs> really gonna get fucked up, you know. And so yeah, I mean as much as the technology has been such a incredible and beautiful thing, it's really put a damper on a lot of industries. Yeah. yeah. So so what um Legal Pete's also just started their own label that you're yeah, you and Andy are partners. So with. Andy, Pete, and I started a label called Greater Than, and our goal with Greater Than is just to work with some of these really amazing local artists, and do our part to try to find them a national, international fan base. Uh, we've only put out two albums so far: Snake Rattle Rattlesnake's newest album, Sin Eater, and then uh, we put out Ian Cook's newest album, and they're both really great. And I mean, there's just unbelievable amount of great music in lo- in Denver, and. You know, we're talking to a few other bands, and we'll have some new stuff coming out. But man, there's some really, really great stuff. Yeah. Um, and then you do marketing at Illegal Pete's too. Yeah. So um, for the last year, I I've been doing freelance marketing for Illegal Pete's and booking shows for all the locations, and started a program called Starving Artists, where we feed touring bands that get in touch with us. We give them a free meal when they come to Denver or Boulder, um, just to like give our thanks and our support for bands that are touring yeah. because. It is hard, you know. I mean, people, gas prices, just all, you know, all the expenses, and you know, in America, most promoters, man, they underpay you. You know, it's just hard. So, yeah. you know, that's our little way to like show support to to independent artists. Um, so we started that, and uh, you know, just been promoting Legal Pete's through music, and it's going really well, well enough that Pete offered me a, um, you know, a full time position there, and so been juggling that in suburban home and booking shows and having a life and it's uh it's all, it's, it's kind of crazy when do you sleep um i get i get my fair share of sleep i i feel you know i've always been able to survive off of like five or so hours of sleep five or six so i know some people who need their 10 and that's cool i'm glad i'm not one of those people and luckily there's the coffee shop right next door to pete's I know. yeah so. i'm like i mean i'm one step away from having a caffeine iv in my arm you know God. yeah I'm trying to find new ways because drinking a pot a day is killing my stomach. So I'm trying to yeah. figure out. I bought a French press last night, and I don't think it's going to be strong enough for me. What about espresso? Uh, I might look into that next. Espresso machines are, I think, a well, little pricey. Well, like a heavy-duty one's really pricey, but you can get a, an expensive one. Go broke or go home. <laughs> <laughs> well, how much money are you saving not drinking this month? Yeah, a, a lot. <laughs> Spending on gas and traveling, though. Yeah. Sure. Um. So you've been booking shows. How? What's the transition been like from just going from putting out records to putting on live music? Well, is it different? How funny, different is it? Uh, the funny thing, I actually started booking shows in Boulder in 95, mm-hmm. um, around the time that I started Suburban Home, and I used to book Club 156 on the Boulder campus, and I used to book The Raven in Denver. And, I mean, I booked, you know, back then, you know, it was one of those things where I didn't know what I was doing, and I guess maybe still don't. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I booked Blink-182, and I booked... I remember telling Jimmy Eat World that they were pretty good for an emo band because back in those days, I only had ears for punk rock. But, uh, yeah, I booked a lot of neat bands and cool bands then, and, um, you know, for whatever reason, I just decided I didn't, you know... I When I moved back from L.A., Soda Jerk had already been doing a lot of big things, and, um, 
Denver is just a really competitive music market. So um, I remember the day that I stopped booking shows, I went to a show and just had fun because it can be stressful booking shows, as you know. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is great. Just going and enjoying a show. And so, you know, made the decision to start booking shows again. Um, a lot of it's just to help out bands that maybe some other people wouldn't be on their radar and maybe, the, you know, wouldn't get help otherwise. The nice thing is with the Legal Pete's, we do free shows and we, you know, we do well enough that we can pay the bands a little bit of money. They can have a good show and people are always there. Sometimes a lot of people are there. Yeah. Um, so it's it's been nice not having to worry about ticket sales and a guarantee <laughs> as you've had to deal oh, with man, many times. Yeah. yeah, so in that regard... Booking shows at Illegal Pizza is really smooth and real easy. Um, on occasion, I'll book shows at Three Kings and the High Dive and some other places. Oh, I also book Denver Beer Co. every Sunday afternoon if you're around. There's an acoustic act playing. Tomorrow, Jordan Smart's playing, Pueblo dude. Um, and then I book Great Divide whenever they need a, a band for something. But uh, for the most part, all these places that I book, there's no guarantee. There's no – I mean, obviously, when I do a show at the High Dive or Three Kings, I'm trying to get as many tickets sold so that the band's – can get some money but other than that um it's really low stress and that's what like i would i would freak out if i had a book you know descendants at the film where there's three thousand three hundred tickets you know yeah i uh always liked how you and mike soda jerk both had labels and were both putting on shows and then he folded his label and you stopped putting on shows yeah it's kind of in a symbiotic way in a way i mean so you know i was booking club 156 in boulder and when I moved to L.A., I kind of said, you know, somebody else took over Club 156, but I think Mike kind of picked up where I left off and just took it. In a whole, I mean, dude, he's got a he's got a pretty good thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's he's my boss, so I can't yeah. talk ill. But no, no he's, <laughs> he does good. He does great stuff. So yeah, um, and and so do you. You're doing good stuff. Yeah, it's so. good. Yeah, it's all, it's really great to run into Mike because yeah, he. I mean. I remember when he was booking two loggies and then two loggies got shut down. I remember when he was doing Rock Island and the Rock Island wanted a ton of money. He's actually got some really stable, really good places. And I mean, I may not, you know, I don't think it's possible to love every band that any promoter books, but uh, he he's, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's let's start to wrap this up. Okay. Um, I, I know it's kind of impossible for you to go, this is the, my favorite thing I've ever put out or done. But right. there's got to be some high points up there, right? Sure. I mean, you know, I, I, I think, you know, Drag the River's entire catalog I celebrate. And, you know, they were such a pinnacle band for me. Um, you know, I think that Drag the River, uh, well, You Can't Live This Way is probably my favorite Drag the River album from start to finish. That's tough, though. Closed is up there. I mean, there's, there's so many amazing songs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the entire Drag the River catalog is pretty key. You know, that LaGrisha record was something really dear to my heart, and it was really unfortunate that they broke up before the record even came yeah. out. But I still love that record. Um, let's see. I mean, Two Cow Garage, I mean, whenever I see those guys live, it just... I mean, anyone that's never seen them... I mean, it's it sucks that they have such a terrible band name because yeah. because people you know hear that, and they're like, oh, you know, crap, mediocre country band. But when they see you see them live, you're like, wow, thunderous rock yeah. band that just blows your face off, you know? They're not even a country band anymore. <laughs> not even. They're just like a full-on, just totally rock, you know, just rock and rock band. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's so many records I'm proud of and so many records I still get excited to listen to. I mean, you know, even you know, like, you know, most recently, like, you know, the newest Lizzie Huffman, the newest Micah, 
Mike D. I mean, there's been just so many records that I'm just super excited that I got to work with, you know? Um, Great. Um, Another thing we talked about in the last interview, I can't remember how the hell I phrased it, but uh, I was talking to, uh, this all goes back to me sitting in a hotel room with Micah, Micah Shane and the two cow guys um, in middle of the worst ghetto of Tulsa, Oklahoma, drinking three, two beer. And me, Micah and Shane started talking about addiction yeah, and uh, the story the story I was telling him was how I was dating a girl, and she, uh, when we broke up, she told me I could never have a suitable relationship with another woman because I love music too much. It's, um, you know, this I I'll go on a date and bring a girl to a show, which I I don't think I'll ever do again because I will abandon her to go watch the band because that band is yeah. more important to me. And and I know you've got some similar stories there. I, I don't even know how to phrase. Oh, yeah. But are you a music addict as well, as well as I am? I call it being a lifer. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think I am a lifer because, you know, I can't imagine, you know, obviously there's people who go their entire days without listening to music, and I, I have to have music on 24-7. I'm always thinking about a show that I could be going to or a record that I could be picking up. And, I, you know, like I said earlier, I still get so excited about all that, all, you know, the music and just the shows and just talking about it and you know i think that it is hard to date people sometimes because you know usually your partner is not nearly as excited about any of those aspects um and you know luckily i'm you know i'm actually dating somebody pretty amazing right now that it's kind of weird to even talk about it right now but uh, but she actually had a really good time at all the shows and i mean obviously you know you and i it's hard to go to shows with because we're always running around saying hey to people and getting stuck in various conversations and you know so but she handles it really well and so far it's great but yeah it's it's definitely a hard sell for sure especially when people don't come up in the music scene it's like they don't get it you know (laughs) it's it's hard to explain to people that don't get it you know i mean this is this has pretty much been my life since i was 16 so yeah it's it'll always be my life so totally um so what suburban home releases should we get excited for well, Micah's record is, is about to officially hit. I mean, you, it's been available, but uh, it's it's killer. Um, just met with all the Stancy guys. We got a new record by them coming out in March or April. And if you haven't heard them and you're a fan of, you know, Two Cow Garage and Micah and, and all that all this stuff, you will definitely dig the new Arliss Nancy record. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm going to be helping. I'm ado- I adopted a couple bands, uh, Alone at 3 a.m. and... Uh, uh, the evening rig, and I'm really excited about those records. And Lusitania, right? Yeah, Lusitania. Yeah, I helped put out their record last year, and I actually just got them on 16 and Pregnant. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, which is kind of weird, but uh, I love that record. And I love that band. I loved it. I, you know, I wish I, there's more people were getting, you know, picking up the record from me. But they're they'll, great. They'll get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got you know. There's a lot of neat stuff coming up. I got some singles coming out. I'm gonna finally get around to putting out the other Bad Astronaut records on vinyl. Um, but yeah, a lot of crazy stuff coming out, and pretty excited about it all. Uh, actually, super excited about it all. All right. Yeah. Hey, I, I I've exhausted everything I can think of. Um, so thanks for sitting down with me today. Yep. Again. Thank, thank, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I think this one will actually be listenable. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thank you. Well, all right, friends. That was me talking to Mr. Virgil Dickerson of Suburban Home Records. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. And I I really am blessed to call Virgil one of my friends. You know, I often call him for advice 
we shoot ideas back and forth to each other. He's a great PR master. Um, I really wish him all the best in future journeys. And like I say, Suburban Homes lasted 16 years. I got a feeling Suburban Homes is going to last at least another 16, if not 20, 25, 30. Uh, I, I know they're going to do great in one form or another. They may not be, you know, the record industry isn't going to stay the way it is today, but Suburban Home is going to be around kicking for the long haul. Uh, so once again, thank you guys for giving us a little podcast to listen. This is only episode three. We got a ton more episodes coming. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff on the way. I'm really excited to be doing this again. Like the, I kind of just started this because I was bored and on a lark and it was really one of the best decisions I've ever made. I can't tell you how great it feels whenever I hit stop after doing one of these interviews and walk out of that room and just feel like I fucking did something. Um, it's great to take action in your life and really get out there and do something. Uh, the praise has been great. The praise has been wonderful. If I can just ask you guys one or two little things, make sure you check out mostlyharmlesspodcast.com. Over there in the right-hand corner, there's going to be a link to like us on Facebook. Please like us on Facebook because that shows PR people that we have X amount of followers and that this podcast has that amount of reach. And when they see that we have this amount of reach, it makes it easier for me to get interviews with people. Right now, I'm trying to get Frank Turner on the line to do an interview with him before he goes off to Europe and does uh, headlines at Wimbledon. But uh, his PR people at Epitaph will not write me back. I've written them three or four times. I've written Frank a couple times himself. But, hey, I know he's busy. But, you know, his PR people are looking at the, our Facebook page and seeing the, the small little numbers and going, eh, screw those guys. Small potatoes. Let's make these big potatoes, guys. Uh, everybody keeps telling me how great a show this is. Let's show them how great a show it is. Uh, please visit us on iTunes. Subscribe. Every little subscription, every little download from iTunes itself bumps us up that ladder. I want to be number one on iTunes for music podcasts within a year. We can do it. Uh, and write a little review on iTunes. Everything Everything helps a little bit. And if anybody knows how I can meet Mr. Ellis Costello, he's pretty much one of my dream artists that I want to get on here. Ellis and Bruce Springsteen. Let's get those motherfuckers on there. Somebody get me in touch with their people. Let us know how we can make that happen. So I think I've rambled long enough. You guys came here to li listen to uh, Virgil talk about running a label, but you also came here to hear the debut of a new track from Arliss Nancy, Fort Collins' Golden Boys. Now, Arliss Nancy, they've got a new record coming up. Off Suburban Home. It's called Simple Machines. Arliss and Nancy aren't simple boys. They're complicated men, but simple machines. I like that. I like that. There's something there. Uh, now, Arliss doesn't have a web page, but you can find them easily enough on uh, Facebook. Or if you visit MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com, you can find a link to their little Facebook page -y thing there. Uh, you'll also find links to Lenny Lashley and those guys, and make sure to update that with links of Suburban Home and all those good good fine gentlemen uh so expect an episode here in the future are the stancy their album comes out uh, i believe at the end of february they're gonna do a round of cd release shows i'm gonna get really really drunk with those guys and see if i can molest them i mean uh do a podcast with them uh but without further ado this is a song called front seat off their debut uh suburban home debut i should say simple machines and you might recognize a familiar uh familiar voice on this track it's got mr glasses himself mr john snodgrass so here we go this is front seat thanks for listening
Just so damn tired of this town. 